0: Let me pray for you, and uh, uh, let us be yours. Father, thank you for Andy and for his ministry. Thank you for his faith in you. Thank you for the ministry that he and Beth bring together. And we pray your blessing on him now, and that uh, uh, his heart would know he's amongst friends, desperate to know more of you, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mark. Uh, we've really been looking forward to coming as well, so thank you so much for having us. And it definitely feels like we're among people who are uh, desperate to know God, which, is, um, which makes for an easy, an easy preach, I think, although we'll see. Uh, I'll grade you out of ten at the end. Um, so I, I want to I talk a little bit this evening um, about something that I've been puzzling through recently, and it's uh, to do with getting to know God and how to get to know Him better. And one of the things that I've found as I follow Jesus is that there are certain Christians around who just really, they just seem to know him really well. And they just seem to, to have a closeness to Jesus that I don't feel like I have. And uh, some of them are really old and uh, you can tell they've been following Jesus for years and years. Others are really young, uh, but they're going through maybe something particularly difficult. And yet, even though they're going through something especially difficult, they seem to just have a an intimacy with Jesus that I just find... Uh, attractive and irresistible and one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is how the heck do you get that um you know how do you how do you how do you become his friend um all of us when we come into the kingdom we become God's children but I think there's there's a thing that happens as we mature as Christians where we we get to know God's heart more and more and he lets us in more and more on his secrets and what he's up to and things like that and we can grow and develop a real friendship with God and that's the thing that I want to look at today and um one of the things that I've also noticed in life is that as we, as we go through and we, we become good friends with, with certain people, and uh, th- there's a dynamic to friendship that involves giving something of yourself. And um, one, of the, one of the relationships has taught me more than anything else is Beth, the relationship I have with Beth. So uh, <clears throat> when Beth and I started dating, um, I learned that she was actually really bossy, and uh, <laughs> and um, uh, you yeah, and then we got married, and I realised it was worse than I thought. Um, There've been all sorts of things, there been, you know, just stupid stuff. Like one of the things I also learned when we got married is that I'm really bad at DIY. Like I just cannot do it. And I remember just after we moved into this house, our house. I put up this mirror. Beth asked me to put a mirror up, and she went out for the whole day, which was good because it took me the whole day uh, to drill these holes in two holes in a wall, and then put some screws in. And I don't know any men. If you've ever made, you know, when you make something, you just feel like yes, this is real. I'm getting back to my roots here, like a caveman. I feel like a caveman. And you, you you know, you make this thing, and then you're so proud of it. And I remember hanging the mirror on the wall. And uh, after I'd done all of this, it's quite a big mirror. I, I hung it on the wall, and it was. It was, made, it, was, it was pretty much straight, but it wasn't completely straight. And I remember Beth came home after a whole day, and I've been, you know, been seriously stressing out about this mirror. I said, Beth, I've done the mirror. I want you to come and see it. And again, it's like when, you, when, you've, when you've made something, you're presenting it. It's like, I don't know, like when a caveman would go out and kill an animal and bring back an animal skin or something like that be like, here you go. You're expecting sort of like, well done, this is amazing. I don't know how you do that. I just, how did you get both holes in the wall? Um, and, uh, and instead, Beth just looked at it for a second. She just, this expression, that was kind of like, she was sucking a lemon. And, uh, and, and, I, and she said, it's a little bit, you know, it's not quite there. And I was like, yeah, but do you think you can live with that? And she said, are you kidding me? And uh, that's literally what she said. So then I, I was so furious. And I took it, anyway, I took it off the wall. I had to potty for, it took me ages. There are other things we've argued about as well. So one of the things we argued about, one of the stupid things that we argue about, was uh, just after we got married, we had this big argument about, do we have a, um, in the toilet, do we have a toilet roll holder that we attach to the wall? Or do we have a stick with the toilet rolls on? And, um, I know. And uh, I was like, no Beth, we definitely need to get the stick because you know, there's just not enough room if you're sitting on the toilet to really sort of get a good swing at it. And Beth was like, no, there's no way, we're not getting a stick. I, d- I didn't grow up in a stick family, we're not having a stick. And uh, we have a stick, I'm just saying. Uh, that's the only argument I've ever won. But we, uh, so one of the things that I've learned basically is, is, is in, in marriage, as in, as in any really good, strong friendship, relationship, you have to learn to submit to another person and uh there are certain times where you you discover that i'm not going to get my own way all of the time and with god uh becoming his friend is like that but on a far grander and far greater scale on a far less almost two-way scale it's a one-way thing jesus says to us uh he says in john chapter 15 you are my friends if you do what i command you are my friends if you do what i command Have you ever tried saying that to your friend You're my friend if you do exactly what I tell you. Um, No, we don't do that because it's not really how it works, is it? But with God, that's how it works. And we become his friends when we learn to obey him. And I have discovered that these people that seem to have something of a fragrance of Jesus about their life, something of a a, a closeness and a depth in their relationship with God, they're the people that, 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 as time has gone by, they've practiced obedience to him. And the more we obey God, the more we get to know him. And in terms of... The problem with that is obeying God is hard to do, isn't it? So I want to obey God. I mean, you know, I want it, and I sing it, and I mean it, and I, every time. And then, and then I go out, and I find it so much more difficult. Because really, I want to obey God as long as he's telling me to do what I already want to do. And when he tells me to do something I don't want to do, that's when I'm, yeah, I'm not so sure about the, uh, the old obedience thing. And, and so I just want to look, um, just for a few minutes this evening, about a, uh, a guy who really obeyed God in the most wonderful way, and he's called Abraham. And uh, in Genesis chapter 22, if you have a Bible, you might want to open it there with me. Uh, you kind of pick up the story of Abraham. And uh, don't worry if you haven't got a Bible because I'll read it out. But Abraham, um, <clears throat> when he's an old man, when he's 75 years old, he hasn't got any kids. And God comes to Abraham and he says to him, uh, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. This, is, this happens in Genesis 12. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm gonna, uh, you're going to have a son. And um, he's gonna have loads of kids. People are gonna be singing, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham in years to come. Uh, it's gonna be the bomb. And he says, All you gotta do is you gotta come follow me, and then I will bless you, and I'll, I'll, I'll protect you, and all of that. So that's what Abraham does. In Genesis 12, he leaves everything he knows uh, at 75 years old, and he starts following God. And as he follows God, he goes through all sorts of ups and downs, and he gets things wrong from time to time. But eventually, 25 years later, uh, which is a very long time, Isaac, the son of promise, is born. And they call him Isaac. The name means laughter because they're just overwhelmed with joy when Isaac is finally born. And uh, Genesis 22 is kind of the end of Abraham's life. And this is the moment where you would imagine uh, it should say Abraham had Isaac. Abraham was really rich, really happy. And then Abraham died. And, he, you know, and that was the end of Abraham's life. He kind of goes out on a high, but instead what happens is this. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So what happens is this. God says, Abraham, hey, Abraham yes God you know your son yes God you know your only son Isaac yes God you know the one that you love yes God kill him for me would you kill him for me would you and uh, so what does Abraham do verse 3 says early the next morning Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey and uh, he took Isaac and he took some servants and he set off and he was going to obey what God had told him to do. Uh, My question is, what happened during the night? God told him, hey, Abraham, go and kill your son Isaac. Early the next morning, he gets up to do it. But can you imagine what would have been going through his head that night as he sat there in his tent and he watched Isaac, the son of promise he'd been waiting 25 years for, sleeping peacefully? And he was thinking, you want me to kill him, God? What went through his head? And uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I suspect probably several reasons why not to obey God went through his head. And uh, I'm going to talk. I'm well into the talk, by the way. That wasn't just the introduction. But uh, be at peace. But I I just want to suggest three reasons why not to obey God. Three reasons why not to obey him that Abraham may well have thought of. Number one, reason number one why not to obey God, God sounds like he's crazy you want me to what God you want me to kill who now Isaac the son of promise you want me to kill the promise are you joking do you know how long I've been waiting for him God reason number one why not to beg God? because God sounds so often it doesn't seem to make sense do you not find that and we think well how's God speaking to me well one really obvious way is he speaks in the book you know and there's loads of stuff in here that, that that actually seems pretty crazy let me give you an example. Love your enemies, says Jesus. That doesn't make a whole load of sense uh, to, to the world that we live in. You know, loving your enemy is really easy until you have an enemy. And then it becomes quite a lot difficult. And because we're you know, we sort of British and we're quite polite, we tend not to have very many enemies, do we, uh, in a sort of like a, an aggressive sense. But I remember oh, a few months ago now, I was walking down my street and this guy came and started on me. Um, For no reason just sort of like really sort of just started on me and stuff like that and I didn't do anything um because probably I would have got my head kicked in but you know I I sort of just you know whatever just left it and I walked off but I remember thinking as I was walking off I just got so angry and I was like you so and so Like, you know, and I was like, and I remember, you know, I always get, you know, you go through that stuff later in your head, don't you? And I was like in my, in my bedroom at home, like in front of a mirror being like, yeah, 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 come on then. Yeah, yeah." like, and uh, sort of like doing all the stuff I wish I had said to him. And I was angry and I know, and and everything in me wanted to go and, you know, find where this guy lived and throw a brick through his window or something like that. And to be perfectly honest, loving him. Loving this guy that at that time, for no reason whatsoever, got unbelievably aggressive. It just didn't seem to make any sense. And it doesn't. Loving enemies doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to... Are you crazy, God? What rational reason would I have for doing something like that? Seriously, God, you want me to kill who now? And yet, Abraham, as he sat there, I wonder if he contemplated the God that he followed. And if we look at the book, uh, one of the things that I see in this book is that God tells people to do things that are a little bit crazy sometimes. Have you noticed that? So... Uh, Noah, hey Noah, go build a massive boat, I live in a desert, yes, a really big boat, I put lots of animals in it, Uh, okay, all right, I'll do that, There's, there's there's a bit in Exodus with Moses, you know, Moses is there, he's just got the Israelites out of slavery, and they're sort of all running off, and they come to the sea, there's the Red Sea, and behind them the Egyptian army is coming to kill them, God, you know, says Moses. Moses, what do you think I should do, God? I've got an idea, Moses. Uh, get a stick and then hold it over the sea. Really, God? Uh, the, the Egyptian army is coming. what about we get some battle formations happening or do you want to send down some weapons or something? No, no, Moses, this is going to be great. Get a stick and then hold it over the sea. And, of course, that's what Moses does and the Red Sea parts and they all walk through. There are, there are plenty of other bits. Joshua, when he, invent, when he sort of invades the Promised Land, the walls of Jericho are there. God, there's this really big wall. Uh, How do you think we should get over it? Should we build some siege ramps? I've got a great idea, Joshua. Why don't you get out the trumpets (laughs) and then start walking around the walls, blowing them. Lord, I'm not sure that that's going to work. No, just do it. Just do it, Joshua. See what happens. Um, Isaiah. You know, there's Isaiah the prophet. God, no one's listening to me. No one's taking me seriously. Uh, And then God says this. I promise you, he says this. He says, okay, Isaiah, uh, what I want you to do now is take all your clothes off and then walk around for three years butt naked. And this will be a message to them. Really, Lord? Do you think that's going to work? Yes, Isaiah, I think it's a great idea. Go on, off you go. Hosea, Hosea, he says to Hosea, Hosea, you know, go and marry this woman uh, called Goma, who was a prostitute. Go and marry this woman that's definitely going to have an affair. Seriously, God, you want me to marry a woman who's definitely going to cheat on me? Yes, I do. Ezekiel. Have you read that book, Ezekiel? It's like, hey, Ezekiel. uh, I think this will be great, right? Go and lie down on your left side for 390 days. Really, Lord? Uh, My arm's going to get kind of manky. Yes, I know. I know. That's kind of the point. Uh, I'm going to get hungry, Lord, if I lie on my left side for 390 days. I'm not going to have any food. I've I've thought of that, Ezekiel. What I want you to do is cook your food over human poo. Read it. Ezekiel chapter 4. Really, God? God tells people to do these things that are seemingly crazy, and it, you know, and it, it's not that He's just doing it for fun. There was a point to it. It wasn't that 390 days later He was like, "Oh my word, Ezekiel, I can't believe He did that." Um, <laughs> uh, that's not what God was up to. There was a point. There was a message. There was a prophetic action in that. And yet, do you think Ezekiel knew that when he lay down on his left side for the first 200 days? No, he didn't know it until afterwards. God didn't tell him the message until after it happened. Uh, What I've found with God is, usually God tells me to do something, and I say, "Mm, I'm not sure about that, Lord. And and then I never find out what he's really up to. That there's something called faith. And this thing, faith, what it is, is it's trusting God. And um, for it to really be faith, we have to actually not know what's going to happen when we step out. If we always know the rational end of an action, then it's never faith. It's just it makes sense. It's just reasonable. The way that it works with God is he's the king and we're the servant. And yes, he's our friend, but also he's our master. And so he will tell us things that, that initially d- don't seem to make sense. And partly following him is learning to hear that and learning to recognize that. And this is something I, you know, I've been practicing a little bit. And I remember at Soul Survivor Festival a little while ago, you know, I've been trying to practice hearing the Lord for what he wants to do and things like that. And we were in a particular meeting and... Um, and we invited the Holy Spirit. And I was there with a guy called Mike Plobacci. Some of you will know him. Um, um, Mike's kind of very practiced at hearing the Lord and obeying him because he's not, he's not afraid to step out and look a bit like an idiot sometimes. And, uh, and so we were standing there as we invited the Holy Spirit. And I was saying to the Lord kind of in my, in my head, all right, Lord, what I want you to do is um, tell me what you want to do first before you tell Mike. And then, and then, and then I was going to say, and I'll see if Mike gets the same thing. And if Mike gets the same thing, that will be an encouragement to me that, you know, you are kind of teaching me. And I remember that, Mike, I, I, I think, I felt like God spoke to me. I said, Andy, I, you know, I want to do some healing tonight. And so, I thought, cool. And then a few minutes later, Mike said, this is what I think the Lord is doing. And it was something, that was nothing at all uh, to do with healing. Completely, you know, miles away. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I didn't get that right. We'll, we'll try again tomorrow. And, uh, and then I was walking around this big tent. There's lots of young people in it. I was walking around the tent. And as I was walking around this tent, I saw this, this young guy who was about maybe 15, and he was just standing, standing kind of worshipping and stuff like that, and I, and I felt like God told me, I felt like he said to me, hey, Andy, go pray for that guy. And My first response was, no, Lord, why don't you go pray for him? And... Then I realized, oh, that's not how it works. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, you're the master. So, um, uh, and I was only saying that because I was just like, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass him. So in the end, I went up to him and I just said, excuse me, would you mind if I pray for you? And it's quite awkward to say no <laughs> in, uh, in, a, in a setting like that. So he said, sure. And I said, is there anything I can pray for you for? And he said, well, actually, yeah, there is healing. And and uh, and he, and then he and I said, okay, well, what is that for? And he said, well, um uh, for my kidney, and he had a serious problem with his kidney that he had for quite quite a while, and he was about to go into hospital and have an operation on it. So I began to pray, and uh, I said, after a while, is anything happening? He said, no. I said, we'll carry on. So we did that a few times, and eventually the Spirit of God just rested on him. And um, and some other people came and prayed for him, and then I, I kind of left them to it. And I wandered off and kind of was carrying on leading, leading the meeting. Uh, and then the next morning, I was kind of sharing, sharing that in a seminar, and I was just saying it was an encouragement to me, because... I got it wrong, I felt like I got it wrong, and then the Lord just brought one person who seemed to need healing uh, across my path, and as I was sharing this in the seminar, this guy got up, um, not the same guy, just a totally different guy, big guy, got up, halfway through, uh, halfway sort of back in the seminar, and he started walking towards me, past everybody, and I was thinking, you know, I clocked him. I moved on to my next point, by that point I was thinking, what the heck is this guy doing? Uh, you know, I'm in a seminar. What is he doing? And he started, he came up and he stood right next to me, and there was a whole room full of people there. And I was like, "What do you want? Like, you know, what are you what are you doing? Can you not talk to me? Do you want to talk to me later?" And he was sobbing. When I saw him, he was sobbing, and he and he just said to me, um, "I just want you to know that that was my the the, the guy that you prayed for last night because I just talked about him. And that was my son, and uh, and we had been crying out that God would meet him and that." Uh, it was just such an encouragement. And I almost lost it in that. I almost started, you know, crying. And um, that. And it was all I could do to carry on the seminar. And I don't know if he, if he got healed or not. I don't know that. What I do know is that um, the more that we begin to sort of learn to hear the voice of God and step out in things that don't seem to make a lot of sense, the more we, he's, he, he's enabling, we allow him to use us. The more we're able to have adventures. And the way we learn to hear God is is, it's just like learning your ABC and it's bit by bit by bit if you want to teach a kid to ride a bike you don't put it on the bike and sort of kick it down a hill you you know you do you put stabilizers on it and you help it and God's like a father he's like a kind father and that's how he works and so the first thing is it sounds like it's crazy but if I know my God thought Abraham as he sat there in that tent I suspect maybe this could be him secondly very quickly Uh, Reason number two, why not to obey God? This is going to hurt someone that I love. For Abraham, it was really going to hurt Isaac. Um, For me, I find that sometimes I can think, do you know what? I'm willing to obey you, God, uh, for me. You know, I'm willing to make sacrifices for me, but actually for Beth, for example. I'm not sure that I want to take Beth to live in an area like that. I'm not sure that if we do have kids, I want to bring them up in a place like that, God. I'm not sure that I can make sacrifices for, for, uh, on behalf of people that I love. And um, again, as far as I can tell in the book, what, what Jesus makes very clear is that he has to come first in life. And that means he has to come before your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your mum or your dad, your brother or your sister, and your best mate. He has to come first. That's the way that it works. And the more we put him first, number one, before anything else, the more he's able to share his burdens with us and share his heart with us. And this is something I have to keep reminding myself. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You want to say to Jesus, man, that sounds so harsh, doesn't it? But actually, because, because Jesus says it so strongly, what we do is we miss the goodness in that. And the, the truth is this. When we're, when we're fully committed to God the Father, we are better boyfriends and girlfriends, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, friends. When we're fully sold out for him, we're better at that, that than we would if we just put them first anyway. Reason number two, thought Abraham, this is going to hurt someone I love, but he's the master and I'm his servant, so okay. And reason number three, why not obey God? I can see no benefit whatsoever in me doing this. I can only see a cost. See, in Genesis 12, when God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, leave everything you know and come and follow me, there was a promise with that. And the promise was Isaac. The promise was, I'll give you a son. I'll make you Father Abraham has many sons. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 22, you have the same sort of, you know, get yourself, Abraham. I want you to get yourself to Moriah. Same kind of wording in Genesis 12. And he says, I want you to kill Isaac. Full stop. That's it. There's no promise. There's, no, there's nothing else. It's just a cost. And what I've found is that when we, when we start to follow Jesus, usually what i found is when I started to follow him, it was kind of like, you know, I started following him because it seemed like a pretty good deal. I don't know if you thought that. But it was like, so what? So, so I give you all of me, and then I get all of you. So you get all of me, and I get all of you. Okay, that seems like a good deal. So I give you my life, and then you give me eternal life. Wicked. Uh, I'll take that, Lord. And it seemed like a good deal. And, and so often, when we start to follow God, what it is, is like, you know, let, let's give our money away, because we know that God will provide. We know that he will bless. But it becomes, after a little while, no, just give it away. Why, Lord? Just because I've asked you to. Just pay the price. Why, Lord? Just because I've asked you to. And what happens in the story of salvation is it begins in a garden. It begins with Adam and Eve in the garden. And what they say in the garden when they take the fruit is they say, I want to live my will. I want to do it my way. My will be done, God. And the story of salvation continues and it goes to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there sweating blood, weeping tears, on his knees. And instead, uh, as with Adam, who said, My will be done, Jesus said, Father, your will be done, your kingdom come. Do you know, I'd never seen it until a little while ago. He says that, and the only thing in front of him is the cross. The only thing in front of him is a cost. And when we start to follow Jesus, initially what he'll do is he'll show us things, you know, I'll bless you in this way and I'll bless you in that way. There comes a point where he just shows us a cost. And this can happen at any point in life, you know. Note, um, this test, this great test of Abraham's life, it came at the end, didn't come at the start. The more we follow him, the more uh, God will challenge us to step out and to follow him. And there is one reward uh, in this. You know, I say there's only a cost, but actually uh, I tell a small lie, there is a reward. And the reward is what I've been talking about all, all the way along, which is intimacy. The, the reward is when, when we step out, it's intimacy. Um, I could tell you like millions and millions of stories where, you know, well, I'll tell you one. So a little while ago, I was, I was having my haircut, And um, I just felt like God wanted me to start a conversation with the hairdresser about kind of Jesus and, you know, getting in there. And, uh, and I thought about it. And I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll see if I could. This is when X, X Factor was on. So I thought, I'll see if we can, you know, just have a chat about X Factor. And if we can have a chat about X Factor, then maybe we can have a chat about Jesus. So uh, so I don't know what the logic in my head was, but whatever. Uh, so, I said, so I said to her, oh, have you, uh, have you been watching X Factor? And she said, no, I don't like it. And, um, and I said, okay, then. And, then. and that was it. And I got my haircut and I left. That's not a very good story, is it? Um, and I could tell you millions and millions and millions and millions of stories that I have in my life where it's like, oh, I think you love me saying this, Lord, but, and then I end up not doing it, and you know, and it's a bit lame. Um, there was one a little while ago where I was kind of praying. I got up early one Saturday, and <clears throat> when I'm preparing talks and stuff like that, I get well stressed, and I, I'm a real perfectionist. Uh, you might not be able to tell that, but I am. And I, uh, uh, I got up really early this Saturday, because I was used to be speaking at something in the evening, and as I, as I was praying, I just was trying to ask God, how can I trust you more with this stuff, God? How can I really sort of step out in faith? And, and I felt like he said to me, Andy, um, just, just for today, what I want you to do is don't prepare your talk until just a couple of hours before the meeting. And for some preachers, that's no big deal. For me, uh, that's a big deal. And so, uh, in the end, I thought, you know what? Okay, I won't. So... I spent the morning banging my head off a wall in faith. And, um, and then it came to it. And then I, I kind of sat down with like a blank piece of paper. And I was like, you really better help me now, Lord. Um, and I wrote the talk. And I went and gave the talk. And it wasn't the best talk I've ever given in my life. Uh, it was pretty average. But if you'd met me as I walked home that night, if you bumped into me, you would have seen that I had this massive smile on my face. And I was floating on air as I walked home. And if you'd listened to the recording of the talk, you'd have thought, what the heck was that guy smiling about? You know, but if you'd met me, you would have seen I was floating on air. Why? Because I was. Why? Because when I got up and I got that microphone in my hand, I had nothing. I had nothing. But there was something in that moment that was like, wow, it's just me and you, Jesus. Here we go. It's just me and you. We're a team. And you had better have this one, Lord, because I haven't got it. And that's how it works It's team with God and he's the senior partner and so he's in charge we're the juniors but we get to play and we get to be on the team and when we step out in places like that there's an intimacy that flows from it you are my friends says Jesus if you do what I command want to be one of these people who's got friendship with God I do the way to get there is to obey him and that sounds really simple um if you're like me, you need help with it. So what we're going to do now is we're going to just wait on the Spirit of God. And uh, I know you guys probably do that a lot. The reason we do it is because we need his help, isn't it? That's why I do it. And um, Jesus tells us that he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can, for all sorts of reasons, but so that we can follow him better. He's the Spirit of Christ, and he comes to make us like Christ, he comes to make us uh, like Jesus. Um, and I think the way that we'll do it is we'll probably just Let's stand together, shall we? You've been sitting for a little while. Have a little neck stretch if you need it. And I'm just going to invite the Spirit. I know the Lord wants to... I'm expecting him to meet with us this evening. Um, Yeah. So you don't need to get religious or close your eyes or do anything at all. Just do whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, But look to God. It's just you and him. And Holy Father, I pray that you would fill us now with your spirit of God, with your spirit, Lord. Come and fill us with your power. Come and anoint us, God, with your strength. Come and fill us and overwhelm us, Lord, with you. And you don't need to do anything at all other than just wait. You don't need to hype anything up. He will meet you. You just rest in him.